Good morning, everybody. I didn't realize until this morning I couldn't hide behind the old uh, podium that was up here. So, a few days ago, Pastor Shane asked me to uh, fill in for him today, and obviously honored to uh, to step in. Um, very timely too. Um, I've been debating with myself about doing a study about the days after the resurrection. So um, I got to do a Bible study that I've been looking forward to, and I get to drag you guys along with me. So. In my line of work, required regularly to be successful, and the same is true for the daily walk for a Christian. Backup, you may think about, for me, is probably a few officers showing up to help out sometimes. Something, sometimes something simple like uh, a lift assist or blocking a road. Sometimes I have too many people to help, and I need some of my friends to come help me. Whether you work with me, sweet floor. Parachute out of a perfectly good plane for a living. You probably need a psyche bell if you're doing that. Or, or the voice of calm and chaos. Or there's a good chance you're exactly where God wants you to be for this season of life. And you can and you should glorify God in your ministry. I believe that is true for every man and woman that has ever walked this earth, including Jesus himself. Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, describe Jesus' life from immaculate conception to his baptism, his teaching, miracles, and ultimately his crucifixion and resurrection. John's gospel walks us through several miracles, showing us Jesus the Messiah, that he has a unique relationship with the Father, doing miracles, and where would we be without the famous John 3.16 passage. We recently observed what I prefer to call Resurrection Sunday, the holiday Easter. Jesus, here's the Cliff Notes version, super oversimplified, but... A virgin woman named Mary conceived a child by the Holy Spirit. His name was to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. He was born and became known as Jesus. Jesus fulfilled many prophecies from hundreds of years prior, proving he was the Messiah, the Savior, the promised deliverer prophesied in the Hebrew Bible. In the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, spoke about the kingdom of God. So what did Jesus do, and where was he for this 40-day period? Jesus left the tomb. He did not just toss his covering and walk out. John chapter 20, verse 7, tells us, In the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. What does the condition of the linen mean? Does it even matter? John specifically notes the condition of the linen because it would have been a profound statement to the people of that time. Any servant wanting to clean up after a meal would know that a strewn about not being tossed on the table prior to leaving would know that that person was done. One who needed to step away for a moment with intention to return would have deliberately folded their napkin and set it on the table, signifying that they were not done. We still do this today. We leave our napkin and our silverware in different places, depending on what we're doing. If we step out to the restroom, we fold them, set it to the side. If we're done, we put everything on our plate and walk away. Jesus folding the linen with intention signifies, I'm not finished, I'm coming back. And come back, he did. Scripture tells us Jesus showed himself to many and was with them for 40 days and then ascended. What Jesus did during those 40 days doesn't only matter because he is the Messiah, our Savior, but it actually proves that he did in fact come back from the dead. A few years ago, I preached a sermon in the style of a case study for the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. We proved sufficiently Jesus was a man terrifying reality of violence against Christians and loudly proclaim their testimony, seeing the resurrected Jesus. 
a man that had a body, walked, he ate food, he talked, he taught, and on and on. He was back on earth, and he was alive. We don't know everything that occurred in 40 days, and I don't know that we need to. I didn't tell you about how I woke up and ended up in church in front of you today, but you can tell someone tomorrow that I was in front of you at church today and not need the details of what shoes I wore or whether I drove or carried my rock to church. Faith isn't faith without having to exercise it at times. These 40 days also clarify some te- Jesus also clarifies some teachings and is preparing to send us something so very beautiful, powerful, empowering, comforting, and necessary, the helper. Today's scripture is Acts chapter 1. Verses 1 through 9 and Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to attempt to break um, three categories, three purposes, three events. It's obviously not an exhaustive list, but hopefully helpful on your journey. Um, I uh, apologize in advance. I'm going to run through a lot of scripture fairly quickly. So uh, I'll go back and spend some more time. So part one, Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, the promise of the Holy Spirit. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with these things that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, and after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Again, last weekend we celebrated a joyous event, Jesus conquering death and sin for us all. We've been walking through the book of Mark with Pastor Shane learning who is Jesus. The Gospels walk us through Jesus' life for a few years, his teachings, his miracles, his teaching of love of the Father and of loving one another. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each are unique in their own rights and synoptic as they were designed to be. Witnessing, confirming the Messiah, fulfilling requirements and atonement, prophesied by Isaiah so many years before, specifically Isaiah chapter 53, the passage known as the suffering servant, tells us who the Messiah will be. This man, despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, born our griefs, this man led as a lamb to slaughter. That chapter, verse 10, says, yet it is the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. Isaiah is pointing to the doctrine of atonement, securing the Lord's atonement for sin. Paul in Ephesians reiterates this atonement for sin in chapter 1, verse 7, when he says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. Jesus was crucified, died on the cross. We traditionally celebrate that as Good Friday. Some of us were here for Good Friday to honor and remember what I can only think to describe as the best worst day in human history. On that day, men and women who believed in Jesus followed him every day, hungered with him every day, watched prophecy being fulfilled before their eyes, forgot in their grief and despair that what Jesus had told them. Then on Sunday, he was resurrected. He defeated death. Jesus paid a price for us that we cannot comprehend with our human brains, but he resurrected. I see the resurrection of Jesus the Christ as a confirmation that the full price was paid. God saw the complete atonement for all sin in the suffering and death of Jesus and the bill was paid in full. As modern Christians, we grieve this day, the death of Jesus with the knowledge of what happened later, but his followers had forgotten what Jesus taught them. In John chapter 16, verses four through eight, Jesus says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asks, where are you going? 
But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The helper, the Holy Spirit. This helper had been with Jesus since John the Baptist baptized him, as described in Luke chapter 3, verse 21 through 22. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Luke, the writer of Acts, and Luke, Luke and Acts of the Apostles, was a very meticulous investigator of facts. I can appreciate that style very much given what my day job is. Luke writes, dedicating it to Theophilus, and Acts, again, to Theophilus. Theophilus is thought to be a Roman Christian, a follower of Christ. The word, Theophilus, translated from Greek directly means lover of God. That seems fitting. Luke in Acts chapter 1 tells us a summary that Jesus gave the apostle commandments, the apostles' commandments and that he had presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs for 40 days and spoke to them of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So, 40 days. From resurrection to ascension, what does the resurrected Jesus do for 40 days? Well, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene at the tomb. John chapter 20, verses 11 through 17. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she swept, as she wept, she stooped and, took, and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus was lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned and saw Jesus standing. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, have you carried him away? Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus then appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 33 say, That very day two of them were going to the village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. A lot had happened, and they had a lot to talk about. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near with him, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking, sad. When one of them named Cleophas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know all the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God, and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, he is now, it is now the third day since these things had happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and they did not find his body. They came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, 
all that the prophet has spoken, was it not necessarily was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he inter- interpreted to them all the scripture, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further, but they urged him to strong, urged him strongly, saying, "Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now spent." So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. He said to, they said to each other, Did our hearts not burn within us while we talked to him on the road, while he opened up to us the scriptures? And then they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with him gathered together. This passage that I read is yet another proof that Jesus is with him. He's walking with him. He's, he's having a meal with him. And he disappears. He's, he's the resurrected Jesus. So impactful for these men that they packed their stuff and walked seven miles back in the evening. That's through the wilderness. That's not a safe thing to be doing. Jesus appeared to Simon Peter. Luke chapter 24, verse 34 says, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5 says, And that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. Jesus appeared to the disciples in Jerusalem. Jesus did this twice. This event is without Thomas. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 25 says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, Sunday evening, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. All that had happened that day, they were terrified. They had just watched a man they love, their Savior, be killed on the cross, and they locked themselves to protect themselves. And God knowing us, Jesus knowing them, the first thing he says to them is, peace be with you. I think that's pretty amazing. Continue with verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed onto them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Jesus and Thomas, now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Oh, we love doubting Thomas. Jesus again appears to the disciples, this time with Thomas. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand in and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. What an amazing feeling that must have been to realize who he was talking to. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Jesus did many other signs. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Luke also tells us, 
This is the purpose of the book of Acts. Jesus then appears to the seven disciples fishing. John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. After Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood at the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The disciples came to the boat, came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon and Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of fish, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now some of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew, who, they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came to them and took the bread and gave it, came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus restores Peter. John chapter 21, verse 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus' love for Peter was so obvious. Jesus, knowing Peter's heart, gives him an opportunity to make right the three denials of Jesus as described in Mark 14, starting in verse 66. Have you seen it? The promise coming? Let's get back to Acts. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not so many days from now. But before this can happen, Jesus gives to them the Great Commission in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. I don't know about you, but I'm not equipped to fulfill the Great Commission on my own. I'm not good enough at public speaking. I'm not articulate enough or brave enough to talk in front of a bunch of people without help. Actually, without that helper, I don't think that I could quiet the doubt and negative self-talk put in my head, and I'm not sure that I could be productive at all, let alone glorify God and share the good news. Where would we all be? 
Thankfully, we can jump ahead a bit and see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Part 2, Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 11, the ascension of Jesus. Starting in verse 6, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They still weren't quite understanding. He said to them, It is not for you to know the time or the seasons that my Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on him, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you in heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The ascension seems to me to be overlooked a bit. We have lots of holidays, holy days. We have one for the birth of Jesus, Christmas. We have one for the death of Jesus, Good Friday. We have one for the resurrection of Jesus, Easter. Couldn't tell you the last sermon that I heard about Jesus' ascension or a TV show about it or a Jeopardy question about the ascension. However, the ascension is a redemptive event with such a profound importance. It is the moment of Jesus' highest point of exaltation prior to his return. Jesus entered into God's glory via ascension. Jesus describes his leaving as being better for us than being in his presence. It's a pretty powerful statement. Luke describes Jesus as being taken out of sight by a cloud. This is probably a reference to the Shekinah, a concept of the visualization of the cloud of God's glory. This has been described as, an exceeding in, as exceeding in radiance of any ordinary cloud, an obvious distinction. It is the visible manifestation of God's radiant glory. Therefore, the manner of Jesus' departure was not at all ordinary as ascensions go. This was witnessed firsthand. It is interesting the words that are used to describe this event. Unique in every way. Jesus was taken up. The Greek word used is apiro, which literally means to lift up or to raise up. A cloud took him out of sight, out of their sight. The Greek word used for this is nephile, which means a bright cloudiness that overtook or overshadowed. To ascend means to go up, to rise. However, when the term ascension is used specifically in respect to Jesus, it has a dip, deeper, richer more specific meaning. Jesus' ascension is unique. It goes beyond Enoch being taken directly into heaven or the departure of Elijah in a chariot of fire. In Jesus' ascension, he goes to the Father, to the Father's right hand. He rises to the seat of all authority. Part 3, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on them, each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Pentecost, the name, comes from the Greek word Pentecoste, which means 50th. It refers to the Jewish festival of Shavuot. Shavuot celebrated on the 50th day after Passover. It is also known as the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of 50 Days in rabbinic tradition. People from surrounding areas attended several, or a city of festival goers, something similar to our local 1838 rendezvous site location on the southeast part of town. 
That was their meeting center for them during that time. Just over a month had passed and what a roller coaster Christians had been on. From walking with Jesus, having the highest of hopes, watching his brutal murder, to watching his brutal murder, to confusion, the anger, fear, grieving a friend, a loved one. The speechless moment of seeing someone you watch die stand before you and be able to talk, eat with you, be able to touch him. Being told that they were better off with him leaving so that a helper could come and watching him be taken up into a bright cloud and bam, he's gone. And now what? Jesus had told them to wait in Jerusalem. We read in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit many days from now. Pentecost easily deserves its own series of sermons devoted to what happened there. When I started to prepare for this sermon a few days ago, I was really on fire for this amazing sacred time between Jesus' resurrection and Pentecost. My very literal investigative mind got pretty excited. It's a well-documented occurrence with many, with many eyewitnesses. I went into excitement mode as I get to teach about such a pivotal moment in human history. Like the sermon I gave years ago on the crucifixion and resurrection, this task seemed overwhelming but welcomed. No pressure, right? We're just talking about Jesus here. There are so many witnesses, Christians and non-Christians, saying the same thing occurred. That really tangible evidence is easy for me to digest. Then I come to the Holy Spirit. How do you put the Holy Spirit into an easy-to-understand box that's honoring and biblically accurate? Like just about anything of importance, there are some pretty strong opinions on the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and the gifts of the spirits and the Spirit and more in the unseen realm. Some Christians will acknowledge the Holy Spirit as part of the Holy Trinity, but won't touch the spiritual realm. Some acknowledge the Holy Spirit will, as Scripture says, give us each our own spiritual gifts, but won't believe that someone can have a spiritual gift specifically prescribed in canon. In some of my discussions with family and friends, it seems that there is a bit of a cover by just explaining away things that we don't necessarily understand. We explain things away with God can do all things, and, it's, and that's very true. I tend to... Uh, try to not use that and not have quite the minimalistic approach to acknowledging the third, a third of the Godhead and very much hindering what I feel is a great relationship with the Holy Spirit. My hope this morning is that if you've been hesitant to learn, that you start. If you've been closed off to the possibilities that you don't understand, get in the Word. Pray. Ask for wisdom and courage to challenge what you know while being discerning and biblically accurate. Hopefully the following is a good place to start. Jesus told us in Acts 1, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Receive power. Clearly, it's given to us, and clearly it's a gift. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 7, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Born again is more than just turning over a new leaf, but beginning a new life as a radically renewed person. Peter speaks of believers having been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. That was 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, because we're all going to go back and really get into the word throughout the week. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 says, And you are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power in the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, 
and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated with us, seated us with him in the heavenly place, places in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But we are here for his, but we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate teacher. John chapter fourteen, verse twenty six says, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. God the Father and Jesus the Son sent the Helper to us. The Holy Spirit is the facilitator of new beginnings. Genesis 1, verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Matthew 1, 18, the Immaculate Conception. Now the birth of Jesus took place, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our intercessor. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. When we don't have the words, when the pain is too deep, when it's too scary to pray out loud, the Holy Spirit steps in for us. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee to the believer. In him, Ephesians 1, verse 13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with promised, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I recently read a book called Help Is Here by Max Lucado. Mr. Lucado summarizes the Holy Spirit as... The dove of peace who calms us, the gift giver who equips us, the river of living water flows out of us, excuse me, to refresh the world. As equally, as equally a share of the Holy Trinity as the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit is a being with individualistic qualities, a person with intellect, emotions, and will. The Spirit speaks to churches, in Revelations chapter 2, verse 7, leads and commands the disciples in Acts Chapter 8, verse 29. Chapter 16, verses 6 through 7. The Spirit appoints elders. Acts 20, 28. Searches all things. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. Knows the mind of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. And teaches the gospel to us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13. The Spirit dwells among and within the believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. The Spirit distributes spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, and gives life to those who believe, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, and cries out from within our hearts, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, and leads us to the ways of God, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 18. The Spirit works all things together for our ultimate good, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. He strengthens believers, in Ephesians 3.16, the Spirit can be lied to. 
in Acts chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. Grieved in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Insulted in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. And blasphemed, as we read about in Matthew chapter 12, verse 31 and 32. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit paraclete. Paraclete is a Greek word. The translations vary amongst different versions of the Bible, but they're all the same. He's called comforter in the King James. He's called counselor in ESV. He's called advocate in NEB and the intercessor in NASB. Call him what you need to, a gift. Call him a friend, a teacher, a helper, a giver of power, a healer. Just call him. Call on him. Ask him into your life and ask him to fill you with the gifts that you need in your mission. As I mentioned earlier, I truly believe that God has you where you are for a reason. Every believer has specific gifts given to them by the Holy Spirit to fulfill the Great Commission. Baker, bricklayer, farmer, doctor, lawyer, even lawyers, teacher, pastor. I had to throw that one in there. EMTs, waitresses, grandparents, coffee-drinking buddies. Those are all your mission fields. Pray to see it. Pray to accept it. Be equipped and pray to you be used to glorify God every day. In closing, I'm going to steal a line from Pastor Shane because he's not here to tell me no. Um, we briefly discussed the content of today's sermon, and uh, he mentioned that he appreciated the saying that the Holy Spirit inside you is better than having Jesus. The Holy Spirit inside of you is better than having Jesus beside you. How wonderful and loving is that? I shared with Pastor Shane a little story that I'm going to share with you. I'm always in awe of how perfect God's plan is. When I was very new into my career, I uh, tested for and was accepted um, to a position on what's called an SRT team. It's a special response team. On that team, we joke that when cops call 911, we're the ones that they call. Part of that is uh, extra training, um, upgraded equipment, and um, a little bit of a desire to be reckless in a, in a good way. When I was fitted for some of the best body armor on the market at that time. It was custom made to fit my body, kept me safe, allowed me to be mobile, move around, able to serve in the worst of situations. Years later, I study my Bible, and I learn the Greek name for helper, counselor. The name that Jesus gives the Holy Spirit is one, is one and the same as the brand of, of that custom body armor plate carrier company, Paraclete. We love Jesus, we love God the Father, and they gave us a personal, very special gift, the Holy Spirit. We'd love to close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, I, uh, I thank you for today, and I thank you for this body of believers. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to, uh, to teach and, and uh, read your word, Lord. Father, I uh, pray for opportunities for us to uh, glorify you in all that we do, Lord, and uh, that we get to share the Holy Spirit and the, uh, the Gospels, the good news with everybody that we come across, Lord. We pray for those opportunities to witness. We pray that uh, the Spirit, Holy Spirit fill us with the courage and, and the, uh, the means to uh, glorify you. Lord, I pray that you are with those that are on new roads, whether they be glorious, happy moments, joyous moments, or those that are suffering and uh, going into a, a blinding season of pain, Lord. I pray for their new paths. I pray, pray that you uh, bring, use us to bring your light to them, that you use us to guide them and to pray with them, Lord. May the Holy Spirit be with us as we are in the Word, and that he be that intercessor in prayer that we need so often. Heavenly Father, I, uh, I ask this in the name of Jesus, in your name. Amen.